Hi, beautiful people, and welcome to the Mojo Mecca podcast, a hub for the exploration of ritual, poetry, plants, and purpose. We are here for the deepening of our relationship to the earth, for the love of living in a sustainable way, for the creation of a global network of minxes seeking more mojo, for vulnerability, for thriving, and for joy. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful. Now let's dive into today's conversation. So hi guys, happy new year. Um, this feels like a really potent and special conversation to be releasing as we begin this new year. Um, this conversation is with an incredible woman called Madhu Vaishnav. Uh, she is the really incredible lady behind a small NGO based out of Jodhpur in India called IPHD. So during the podcast, we speak about Madhu's journey, diving into the topic of gender and what it means to be a woman in India, which is still a very patriarchal society. We then dive into her time working as a social worker in the slums of Jodhpur, to now her work within rural community development. And it's just, yeah, really amazing work she's doing. We discuss the significance of women's empowerment and why this remains Madhu's sole focus. We also touch on the creation of Sahili Women, which is a social enterprise program that was formed in 2015 by Madhu to create more employment opportunities and financial and social independence for the women of Bikamur, which is a rural village. So Sahili Woman is currently an ethical clothing enterprise that's really empowering women with new skills and they're creating some very, very beautiful pieces. So I was introduced to Madhu through my beautiful friend and incredible photographer, Claire Hart, who was in India at the time when we recorded the um, conversation. And she just spent a lot of time in the community developing her ethical clothing label, Arizu. So she chimes in at certain points too through the conversation, sharing um, yeah, her own insights and lessons and everything that she's learned um, through their collaboration. So just sink in and dive into Madhu's story, her passion, her mission, and the incredible work that she's doing from the ground up in rural Indian communities primarily through the empowerment of women. Enjoy. So, namaste. My name is Madhu Vaishnav and I live in India, Rajasthan, a, Jod a small city called Jodhpur, where I born and raised and I complete my study and I got married, I have two children, amazing husband. So, I have all my small family and small world in Jodhpur city in Rajasthan. So, I born in middle class family in Rajasthan, India. Uh, that was a very difficult time for us in the 80s and 90s. But I was lucky that I have seen my mother working during even that time. But it, again, it was very conservative family. There was a traditional values were very high. And I was the second child of my mother. So when I born, my mother already had one daughter. So she was expecting, oh, this time at least she'll have a son. There is always desire to have son in India because they feel like some will take uh, carry on their name into the next generation. 
So she was expecting me. I came, she saw me as a daughter and she got upset. She was crying. And then uh, like she came, she got discharged from the hospital. So yes, good thing that my mother delivered me in the hospital where a lot of still deliveries happened at home in India, very unsafe deliveries. So she got discharged from the home uh, hospital. She came home. She was again still a little upset that, oh, she got again second daughter and she had to go for another child because she really wanted to have a son. And my mother always tells me that neighborhood ladies used to come to meet her and give her sympathy. That, oh, we feel bad. You got a second daughter, but don't worry. God will actually help you and you'll be able to raise both daughters and you should try third time. You'll probably have a son next time. But then I remember my mother saying that my grandpa, he really got mad that these ladies should not come in my home and like give sympathy to my daughter because he didn't like people just giving sympathy just for a daughter, just like you deliver another daughter. So yes, the first time when I came on the earth, I would say I faced this like discrimination being a woman, but then it's actually carry on for several years. And today I just feel totally a free woman. Uh, then like I was raising, with my parents, my mother was working, so childhood was like a difficult, uh, tough for us. But I was lucky one that she gave me opportunity to go to the school. So I did my graduation and the masters, everything in Jodhpur University. And uh, but the family values, the like uh, rules for gender norms were very very difficult for us. For example, I wasn't allowed to participate in the sports. I wasn't allowed to participate in the music and dance because there is a culture norms that the girls from a good family don't do this. And girls from a, uh, like a middle-class family don't participate in the sports. If I participate in the sports, then it will be difficult for them to find a suitable point for me. So because of all these norms, I never get a permission to participate in music and sports and dance. And because I did not get a participation in these activities, they actually lied in my heart. And I still love them so much. I love music, dance, sports, all these things. So yeah, so I was actually raising with like a lot of love, affection, but still like a traditional conservative values. We all had to follow and my sister also followed. So uh, as soon as I complete my graduation, they started worrying about my marriage. They really want to find a suitable boy who could marry me. But unfortunately, my color tone was a little dark. So that was again a problem for my parents that how to find a boy who would actually like her. So after my graduation or final year of my graduation, I remember the whole like, a drama started in my life that every month, three or four boys and their family used to come to my home to see me. And there's a traditional, typical Indian style, a girl would handle, like carry the tea a tray with the teacups and offer to all the family who's coming there to see her. So I used to do that so much and I started hating that like event in my life and all the families, they used to see me and say, oh, girl is a little dark. We probably don't like it. She may be not good for our boy or they were actually looking for a dowry. So dowry was also financially, my family had a little problem to pay a big dowry. So that was also issue a lot of time. I got a rejection because of the dowry. Most of the time I got a rejection because of my skin tone. And I'm telling you, I was so happy whenever I got a rejection. I thought I, every time I used to 
say thank god at least this is gone <laughs> <laughs> so that was a whole thing, like all these boys coming i remember there was a time came for my marriage after seeing the boy for 2 3 years my parents got really fed up everyone was labeling everyone was judging that why this girl is not get, getting suitable boy she may be not even married she may not even find a boy so there was a time came when a boy came he was only class 10th pass he was only matric pass and i was doing my masters first year of master and my parents were even happy to marry me him but then he also rejected me because he found oh she is little dark in complexion she probably would not look good with me <laughs> and when he even rejected i was so happy i was so relieved thank god imagine my husband would be a like matric pass only and i would be done my masters so there is no wrong if someone has done matric pass but at least the like mental level would be not same so yes then there was a whole like drama was going on somehow my parents actually managed to find my husband through someone told like oh there's a boy in particular area and they are also looking for a girl and my parents approach and my husband actually uh, study completely and he was doing a government job but he was really looking a simple girl and when he came and he saw me with the simple dress and british color and all he said oh god yeah i really like this girl she's very simple i think she would be really perfect for our family she could be really good housewife and that's <laughs> yeah that's what his like you know that's how he imagined that i could be really good housewife she's simple but i think he couldn't understand inside i was a little complex <laughs> <laughs> so then like uh, everything went for a six month my both families were talking my family my husband's family they agreed with everything even they agreed with the dowry and all those things uh, there was a condition between my family uh, marriage that i would be always a housewife and i would never ask for a job and that time my parents were so grateful to find a boy who women have a secure job for me and especially when i got rejection so many times they said yeah yeah my daughter would do whatever you want she will never ask you for a job she'll never even disobey you she'll always obey and she'll always do what you want and what your family want so with this conditions i got married and it was very clear for me that my marriage was on based on the condition that i would be a housewife so i was a housewife for quite 5 years that was the time also i had a two children i delivered two children to boys and my mother in law was happy and but inside there was a thing was coming out that i really don't like this life that waking up early morning cooking for husband cooking for in laws like cleaning house making bed all these things every day the same thing and i decided that i need to do something so the first time i decided oh i should actually go out and learn english classes and i asked my mother in law that i want to really learn english and that till that i did my whole study from hindi medium so till that i couldn't speak any single language uh, sentence in english or i couldn't able to read and write in english but my mother in law was a illiterate woman she never went to school in her life but she was a very strong supporter of education uh, especially education for girls so she did not actually refuse she said yeah you should go and learn it probably it would be useful somewhere in your life and she gave me permission and with her permission i used to go for a 2 hours english classes and that was the time after 5 year i went out 
from home doing something apart from my just housewife lifestyle. Uh, and then, yeah, those, so those five years was quite tough for me. Like I wasn't allowed to go out without asking permission from my mother-in-law or husband, or I was just not allowed to go out. Like I have to wait for my husband to come and take me and drive me wherever I want to go. Or even if I want to go and see my parents, the permission has to come from in-laws. It was a whole joint family concept, which I really enjoyed the few part of joint family. I feel like it's really a great social support, a, like a safety net for you. Like I could go on for, like I could learn all these English classes and all my like first job because of joint family, because my mother-in-law was taking care of my children and all. So yeah, that was the time I started learning classes. Then uh, it, that, there was a, uh, like time came when my son got four years old and, or five years old and I actually took him to the school admission and there is a rule in India like especially the English medium schools where you want to send your children for better education they did not only interview the child a five-year and six-year-old child but they also interview the parents to see that whether they will be a good fit for your school or not <laughs> <laughs> So like me and my husband got an appointment for the interview. I went to English, so-called English medium good school for my child. And then the director was interviewing me and she really liked talking to me. And in the, during the same time, during the interview, she offered me job, a teacher job. And I remember that was a like, turning time, life-changing time for me. Uh, but that was definitely that I couldn't join the job. I said, oh, I don't know. I started laughing. I thought she may be joking or something. And the interview finished. We were coming home. That was a time we used to be on a motorbike. So there was a motorbike. My husband was driving. My son, younger son, my older son was actually sitting on the like front of the bike. Also my younger son in my lap on a motorbike, four people. And I was covering my head with the sari and I was keep thinking what this woman told me. She said that I have so much possibility, I can be teacher. And I was keep thinking, I still remember the whole day, whole like that was a half an hour we took to reach home and I was keep thinking and slowly I asked my husband, did you hear what she said? She said, I can be good teacher. And he started laughing and said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But this thought did not leave me. I was actually keep thinking about it. And I asked my husband slowly, what do you think? And he said, no, 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 that's really not what we want. We should be just take care, have family, children, I'm earning. We should be happy with whatever we are earning. And I knew that my mother-in-law would also, would be a little uncomfortable me asking, going out and doing job. But I was slowly raising my voice. And I think it took me around one month to get permission but I did not let it go down. I was keep slowly asking. And then within a month, they thought, okay, now she's really want to join and probably it will be good for her. So they actually gave me permission after a month that, okay, you can join the school. But they also put the, another condition that this is the only job you're doing. You will never ask for switching the job. And you have to make sure that like this is the only job. It's not that if you think, oh, I should shift another school and I'd get better salary there and this and that. I said, no, 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 I'll never ask you this. I'll just, this is my last job and this is what I'm just asking you. I will never ask you anything. And I was so grateful to get an opportunity to join this, like a job. 
So that's how I just started working. I become a teacher. I called this lady, amazing lady, said I actually got a permission. And she was so happy and I went and I met her, said I got a permission, I can be a teacher. And she was also very happy that she brought our at least one woman from home. And I was working in her school for four years. And I was working with the younger children. And that was also time I learned a lot from small younger children. I learned like endurance, I learned tolerance, I learned patience from them, I learned happiness from them. And in a, inside my heart, there was always like, you know, from a childhood, I used to say, I want to be social worker. And my parents said, no, 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 don't say, say I want to be doctor and engineer. Don't say I'm a, I want to be social worker. Because this job is still like, you know, not considered a white collar, respectful job because you have to be in the field and you have to work in the sunlight and this and that and parents really don't want. So after four years, I started really thinking about it that I should like change my job. I should do something else. My inner was calling me. The social work was keep calling me. And there was a, by that time, I think my parents also understood that she really has a lot of opportunity and she can really go and do something really different. So then by the time he stopped even like even arguing, he stopped even telling me that you need to get a permission. He just gave me free hand that do whatever you want with your life. And during that time, I got a chance to like learn dance. I actually told him I really want to go and join the dance classes. And he said, yes, please go ahead. And I learned dance, Bharatnatyam, South Indian dance. I was so happy. I also asked him, can I actually learn driving car? And that was the time he said, what we are going to even do with the car? How are we going to even afford and how it's going to help you? Then no, I think we should have a small car and I will learn driving and all. So he gave me driving lessons and he, he made me driving lessons and he gave me some classes and all. And that was also another, like, you know, a big turn in my life because that 10 years back when I learned driving, very little, very few women used to drive in Jojapurva. So that all positive change, but with a lot of struggle, like with the slowly asking and still not spoiling the family and still like rebellious, but not spoiling family or not fighting, but slowly asking and me taking them with me and with my decision. Yeah, then I got permission. I learned all this driving, dance, English classes, first job. And the time came when I really think like I need to be join what I want to do like I should really be a social worker and I started working in the NGO and I my husband gave me yes you can my mother-in-law had no problem by that time and I was working with female empowerment projects and ch with children and all but the challenging time came in my life when I actually decided that I want to work with the female sex workers and I knew that if I'll tell this to my family, my in-laws, or even to my parents and my brother, sister, they would be not happy with it. They would not really want me to go to the slum and work with the like female sex workers in red light area. But my husband was, he was so supportive always. So he said, yeah, if this is what you want to do, then just go ahead. And I spent my few years in the slum, like working with the uh, like female sex workers, seeing their life how they're working and actually that also gave me a whole different perspective about the world that even sometimes, not even sometimes, always, even if a woman is involved in those work, it's like her power, it's a woman power who can even do that 
and she is doing just not for enjoyment she is doing to earn money so she can actually feed her family lot of the ladies i met who were even married and then only they were involved into all this work so they can and husband was sick he couldn't earn money so they were actually buying their husband's medicine food for the children even paying school fee for the children and tuition fee and some like few ladies i met they were even their children were in the like ready to go to universities so that was a, like a really a, like a learning time of my life but unfortunately i don't think i could have i could brought any change in their life but i learn a lot from them i grown a totally a different person after that experience and then another shock came to my family when i decided i should go and really learn the social work social work in america so i asked my husband that now my dream is to go to america and learn about practice in social welfare how they actually do it how come their countries are so developed what method they really used to go through whole development process and all and then my husband really liked the idea but he was aware that how women she is going to get admission and all and uh when i told my friends and family they thought i'm just joking and it's not going to be how it's going to possible like how well you will leave your children and all so i men i was looking through different different university in america i was also going through uc berkeley and there was a little like a diploma certificate course called practice in social welfare and i really like it i thought i already know practice and this would be actually enhance my practice skill in the social welfare so i applied and luckily i got admission and i asked my husband that see i got admission and he was saying that's very good then you should not miss the opportunity you should go and the it wasn't by scholarship i had to pay all the fee for my like tuition and everything so i asked my husband how about the finance and he said we will manage somehow because we always see education is investment but that was a really big shock for entire neighborhood like family friends that what is she woman doing is she really going to come back or not or lot of people even think that she i just got caught up with my husband and family i'm i'm running away from here <laughs> because in india it doesn't happen that once your children is there you actually invest more time with your children's education and career so few of my friend also suggested me that it could be a wrong decision just think one more time it's time for you to pay attention on your children and your husband not on your education what like a career you want to make now it's time for children to make career not for you all this like things i was keep hearing from my neighbors and it took me around 3 4 5 months to sort out get visa and pay my tuition fee and go to america but i would say my children were very supportive because i feel like i i came to that stage where i didn't need permission from my mother in law or husband that was a time i need to really ask my children that are you guys comfortable if i leave you alone for a few months and go for a study and my youngest son was so young that time i think he was around 7 8 years 9 years old mm-hmm. and i asked him mm-hmm. and he said yeah we will feel very proud about you and we can tell about fancy my mother is gone to america for study and all and i when i get actually yes from my children that was my final confirmation that i'm going for a study mm. so yes then i decided i got my visa i 
went to America. Uh, I remember we arranged a small dinner for friends before I left. I thought, oh, we should all meet and say hello, and I'm not going to meet you again for a few months. And one of our friend actually told front of me and my husband directly on our face that I hope you will come back and I hope you will not marry again there and I hope you'll not find another man there. Like, you know, there is always mentality. If woman is going along, there is something wrong. Something is like something is like something is which doesn't make sense to their mind. Mm -hmm. So that was really shocking for me and my husband to hear that people had that type of like, you know, mentality, but we kind of uh, like aware that yes, it, uh, I never met a woman who actually after marriage went to university abroad and study. So I understand that it's, it's very foreign and very new to them. So yes, I like went, I study, I came back after my completing degree. That was actually a tough time when I was away. I was homesick. I could understand how it is difficult for children to leave home and study in a different country. I got a culture, like a little culture shock, but I was actually dealing with it. I was missing my children, my husband so much. But at the same time, I also started my study after 10 years. So it was a lot of like, you know, pressure and everything was in English. So a lot of words were so new, a lot of terms were very new to me. Even the adjustment in the like a classroom was so like new. And because in India, we respect our teachers so much and we don't argue or we even argue and commit like too much discussion in classroom is considered a little disrespectful. And that was like, you know, whole struggle, how much friendly I could be with my teacher. How many questions can I ask? How much like argument can I do? All those things were like so like new and foreign, but slowly I was actually making it. And my professor was so helpful because I was having a lot of problem with the English and vocabulary and the terms she was using. I couldn't understand. And I remember every, after every class, I used to stay back and ask her more questions. So she used to help me so much. Mm -hmm. And she actually brought a lot of change in my understanding of social work on the ground. Mm -hmm. So it was a small course, but it actually uh, brings so much change in me because my previous experience, like my work, I already had an experience working on the ground. And what she taught me together actually gave me a very good understanding. I wasn't totally new to the idea of social welfare. So I completed that whole program. I came back to India and I didn't know what I'm going to do because I left my all the jobs. I spent all of my money. I was sitting at home for a few months. I was thinking, I, it was very clear that I want to open my organization and I want to work on the field. And, but still like it was so new, I just came back. I went, after I came back, I went to see my father and I went to my papa's home. My father was very happy to see me. And he asked me a question that how many dollars did you earn from America? And I really got shocked. I said, oh God, I don't know what to answer him. I, I told him I did not earn any money. In fact, I spent my money, all my savings in my education. And he got so upset. He said, people go to all this big, like wealthy country and they earn so much money and they bring a lot of wealth back and you know, just spend all of your money and you didn't get anything. Now, what are you going to do? So that was actually made me really worry. I came home and I was thinking, my God, I don't know. 
everyone was thinking i went to america i got a lot of dollars and i really did not i in fact we lost my job and everything but i decided okay i should start my organization i know how to do things more effectively on the ground now so i started working uh, preparing the registration for my organization the name of my organization is institute for philanthropy and humanitarian development it was a uh, uh, quite difficult to figure it out uh, how we need to register where we need to go we have to hire a, a lawyer uh, who could actually do all the paperwork for us but even after hiring lawyer it took us one year to collect the paperwork and get permission and to register and i feel like the struggle is still not finished with the government things the paperwork and all this process is too complicated that we still keep doing filing up the paper and keep asking for more permissions so yeah so that is the time again the life change i started like doing a social welfare again in my own organization with my own way and use all what i have learned in the university so my university taught me the ss uh, like a strength and need assessment policy like i learned it that how you need to even do anything on if very effectively effectively on the ground so all the assessment uh, assessment of the need and strength evaluating the assessment report finding a solution from the assessment report and a lot of time the solution is really lying inside the community i strongly learned that what you can change in the community is really never come out from outside the solution is lying in the community and community has to participate so much with your work it, you really need to work with the people not on the people and to work with the people is itself is a whole process where you really need to come out from your own shell and go into their like area and just be like them so that itself is a big you know step and it's a complicated complex process so when we register uh, institute iphd the short name of the organization is iphd uh, i started working in the slum area there was a whole challenge that how we going to get the funding where is the money to work on the ground and i have looked different model and i thought oh yeah or we can actually uh, offer the internship opportunity to foreign student because i was in america and i saw so much opportunity for internship program there is a big market for internship program iphd started offering internship program to the american students and all the students who participate in the program they pay their program fee so that program fee covered their lodging boarding food transportation like workshops trainings as well as a big amount of money from the program we also support the projects we are doing on the ground so that's how instead of looking for funding and like you know looking for a donation and all we decided that we want to go into the social enterprise model where our institute will generate their own income instead of just looking for a funding and grant and money because i also learned with this model when you actually just looking for a funding if your funding finished then your work is finished Exactly. Even if you want to do more, there is no funding available. And right now, even UN and all these big models are talking that NGO need to be self-sustaining. There is even a little, very tiny little funding is available in the entire world. And every year, so many new NGOs come and they all go behind the same funding. Mm -hmm. And I thought we really don't want to be part of that race. So that was a really good model for us. Then we started uh, like. A, 
marketing i phd with american university again that was a whole very difficult because i was sitting in india and i was marketing organization in america with the universities and talking to all the faculty and deans and everyone and uh, also we were very new we didn't have any student it was just a registered new organization so it was little difficult for a uh, university to even have a trust on us and i understood all these challenges but we were very lucky that northeastern university in america they actually agreed and they gave us very first student to run the program and it went like very good uh, first year of iphd we were working in urban setting in slum area and the very first project in iphd we did was also with the female sex workers so we evaluating the situation and we run some uh, educational workshop for them but uh, after a year we evaluate the iphd work that how much we have achieved can we actually assess our own success because it's really important that every after like few months and year you need to really assess your like a uh, success or your failure and how much you had have achieved and what you need to change and we realized that actually we did not achieve anything the people we work with it was even so difficult for us to find those people again because these people are living in the slum people who come and live in the slum they are probably more uh, from a village communities if the monsoon is very good then they go back to their village and they do agriculture a lot of people just migrate from one slum to another and they wherever they get a house they just live so it was so difficult to track the people it was so difficult to track our own success our own work and that was not giving me like satisfaction i wasn't happy with the work indian villages are always so deprived from all the policies and benefits they are really sitting far physically also so a lot of people don't feel like going there and working it decided why should not be work in the villages we should actually try to rural development and that was a whole new like a field for me because i was really experienced working in the slum but i have seen the negative and positive side of the slum that it's really so difficult to bring change in the slum area so we decided we should work in the uh, village and then we were thinking and i shared the idea with my husband so my husband comes from a village family so i said yeah we should actually look our own village there is a lot of opportunity there to work on and i really like the idea i went to the village with my husband and my advisor our advisor is also from australia her name is susan player and she comes every second year with iphd and she lives here and she actually helped me so much with iphd so both of us went to the bikumkor village where we are running all the projects and we were so happy to go there the one thing which attract me in the village is like we all know that villages are more poor than even like a uh, slums and city situation and especially bikumkor was even very typical village where it's surrounded with the dunes uh, the main agriculture is just a uh, main income is sorry just agriculture and agriculture is totally depend on the monsoon and it's a very high risk that every second or third year we have a very weak monsoon mm -hmm. and if one monsoon is weak they can actually contribute so much in that financial situation that one month weak monsoon can actually make family really poor Mm -hmm. so we like i found up very much aware that situation in the village are very like really worse than the city i went to village 
the one thing which really attracted me and I was got so impressed and I got so touched is like a self-esteem of these people. I did not find a single beggar in the village. And I asked, asked my husband, how come like people are poor, but no one is begging? And said, yeah, people have so much self-esteem. They would never beg. Like even if they'll get a little labor job, they will go and do it, but they will never beg for money or food or like a cloth. And I feel like, oh God, this is amazing. You know, this village has amazing value and we should really make sure that we would not destroy their values. Like going as a nonprofit and providing so much free is also spoiling the culture and developing a new habit in them, which they're not even used to. Like there's already good things. So why even need to spoil those new good things? Mm -hmm. So we decided we would really maintain this value we would really respect the way people really want to work hard. So the one thing came very clearly that people wants to work. That was very clear in our mind. So the first, very first project in the village, after like we had a village meeting, we spoke with the ladies and they were all agreed to work with us and they were excited and they were surprised which organization is this and why they want to work. And, and for me, the good side was like my mother-in-law's house is still there. My mother-in-law came from this village. So my mother-in-law and father-in-law house was there. And I see this is all dead resources. But we thought how we even can make this dead resource into the active resource for community. So we thought, oh, my mother-in-law's house should be community development hub. Like it should be women empowerment center. So we decided to run whole office in the my mother-in-law's old home. That actually... She, migrated. she was from this village and 50 years back, she managed to migrate from the village and she came to the city with her children and husband. And that's how like she left the village and the property there. And then this how people like old ladies still recognize my mother-in-law. So there was a, some connection was there. They could easily re uh, relate. And they all think like I'm a daughter-in-law of this village. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of a connection is there. So that actually worked really good for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but we had a first meeting, they agreed, and we started going to the village. We got a very first student who was actually agreed to work in a rural development because it is very, very challenging to work in a rural development. Mm -hmm. And this is how I actually defined rural de difference between rural development and urban uh, development. Urban de development is the process is so easy, but outcome is so difficult. Process is easy, it means you can go easily. It doesn't take a lot of time. If you want to arrange any facility like the workshops or learning classes and all, it's so easy to get all this facility. Uh, but outcome is difficult because the people have a lot of distraction. Like there, is a, there are so many organizations like us who's working. So they're really not looking for any, like, anything special from us. And there's the livelihood opportunities are there in the cities. But in our, like a rural development, the process is very, very hard. It's very difficult. Like you have to drive for one and a half hour, one hour, like two hours every time going there, and two hours coming back. If we want to arrange any facilities, it's a very big challenge. So the process is difficult, but outcome is amazing. Outcome is mind blowing. Like people have so much respect if they can see you have a genuine like a intention to work with them. Mm. So I really like that. And I started the whole first project, Saheli Woman, 
project with them. That was our very first intervention. So the I realized that you know there was this one saying that if you want to achieve something really in your life, the whole universe helps you. And when you are really close to that goal, the whole universe really tests you whether you are actually capable for that or not. And if you pass all the like exams, then only universe help you to get that. This is mm -hmm. same happened with us. We went to the village. Lady said, "Yes, we will work with you." They, I opened my mother-in-law's old house and we clean all the vats and we spread the mat and we started working. It was one little tiny room, but we didn't have electricity or no like running water because in the village also there was no running water and all. We were all just working in a very small, like very basic facilities. But when we started, the same ladies gave us tough time. They all refused to come. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, why should you even become? Why, how is it going to help us? So the very big challenge we got in the village was mobilizing these ladies because these ladies didn't have a habit of coming out from the home every day mm. and going for a learning. Like going for a learning skill is just, just too new to them and said, why even we should go for a learning? We never even went in our lifetime. And all the young women, when they come from home, they all live in a joint family in the village. So they really need to take permission from mother-in-law, father-in-law, sister-in-law, all these people's permission is involved for one woman to come out from home and to learn something. So it was so challenging for us, for, uh, for us to mobilize these ladies and to build the trust. Trust was also very, very important when we work in a rural development. So I remember for a two, three months, we did a lot of outreach. We were doing a lot of home visits. We were going to their house so they can actually, we can accommodate, uh, we can accompany those ladies with us and they can come to the center. Uh, village ladies used to come and see what's happening here, but they were really not interested to learn anything. And from all this, there is around thousand ladies in our village. But from all these thousand ladies, we managed to get five really committed women who said, okay, we will learn this selective training. We will learn embroidery and stitching. Stitching. So we did not have a money to buy a sewing machine. The whole Saheli Women Project, we started with the $100 and group of five women. Mm -hmm. So we just, we had a, like a rough fabric, needles, threads. We hired a teacher and we just started teaching them embroidery, like a flower, mirror work, beads work. And that training, I think, went for three or four months. And ladies were keep asking, that why are we even learning this? How are we going to help us? We are not going to get anything from this, like uh, beads and like this embroidery. But they were saying it's really good that at least we can socialize. At least we can come out and we have a place to talk and like sometime, like learn something and all. And that was actually raising a valid question that why we should learn and how it's going to help us. If it's not giving them some benefit, then the, they probably have a lot of already skills, but it's not really contributing in the financial situation. So we understand that we really need to link them with the market. But then another challenge is who would buy their like embroidery and like mirror work so expensive? Why people like even willing to pay for this? And you know, you always want what you don't have. So in the India, we have so much handicraft. So people always prefer to buy something machine made, nice, fancy. There is a very little community in a Jodhpur especially is willing to pay for this. 
or even I would say even if it's so hard to find the people who would even pay for embroidery bag and all. Mm-hmm. But we, there was an opportunity that we could see the opportunity in the Western world that people are really looking for buying something handmade. And we thought, okay, we should actually look in the, that market and we should sell our women's stuff there. And again, it was a big challenge sitting in the village, women making something handmade and we want to sell it in the Western market. And my husband said, again, you're taking a tough decision. Are you sure it's, it will happen? And I said, we will try. Who knows? Maybe it will happen. Because there's opportunities. So it definitely can happen. But we just need to try once. And we started making clutches, small clutch and like uh, purses and stuff. And we started selling it. And we did uh, like a Kickstarter with that. We got some money. We started doing with uh, with the help of one of our intern. She was ready to sell all those clutches on uh, behalf of us and it went well. And then again, tough time came and we actually lost that market. We lost the shop and then situation came that how we are going to work. And I was keep telling them ladies that it's really so difficult to just find a market only for our embroidery. We really need to improve our skill set. So you should actually learn the stitching. But again, as I said, the process is very difficult. Who will come to the village and who will train the ladies every day? The training is so complicated to provide in the village. But we were so lucky that we found a master in Jaipur who actually, we pay him a high fee, but he's really happy to come to the village on the weekends and he trained our ladies on a different, different skills. Like now, this Saheli woman who started with the group of five women and with the hundred dollar, we have a 27 woman in this program. And every woman is earning more than $100 per month. And most of the ladies, they became a main earning hand of the family. Mm-hmm. And there is a so much change we can see. And that's why I always say that woman empowerment is, we cannot achieve woman empowerment just with the talk and like a discussion. Woman empowerment is very strongly linked with the financial empowerment. And these are the, these ladies, 27 ladies are pure example of this. That their situation was so different before they were working. And after they started working and they started earning equally or more than their husband, the position in the village, in the home has changed so much. Now they even doesn't need to take permission from their husband and family to come out to the office. They just say, I'm going to office. I'm just going to my workplace and they just come. Like they tell even also their husband, can you please help me in the household chores and husband helps because they know that my woman is bringing money, my woman is earning. And all the children also around the mother, they ask him, they can actually demand something from mom because they know that mother has access to the money, she's earning money. So it was a, the whole journey in the Saheli woman was amazing. I learned from a different client that we are, we have a lot of potential in Saheli woman. And Western world love hearing the story about our village and ladies. And one of my like a very strong partner, Jazzy Vintage, Jen, she told me when she was visiting us, first time she told me that Madhu, you you have a uh, ethical fashion company. And said, what is ethical fashion? Because we really didn't even aware about this term, that this term is so popular in the Western world. The ethical fashion company is exactly what you're doing. And then they said, okay, let's put it on our website. <laughs> then we are ethical fashion company. And that's how we actually introduced to, to this whole ethical fashion world. 
and now our even women understand that we are ethical fashion company so yeah like we started from a very small tiny clutch mirror and all small like flower and stuff embroidery and today ladies are making a whole complex designs like trousers pants blouses skirts dresses in fact bell gowns like red carpet gowns and i'm just so amazed to see how much they have learned because if you have need you will make it anything to you will do anything to make it happen they have a need they know that they need to have this job they know that they are earning money they know that this is the money providing so much to their family so they put so much effort to learn i also heard from my master who actually train our ladies that learning coat and blazer is very complex people take a training for months and years to just learn the blazer and coat and our ladies had a training for two or three weeks and within a two three weeks they started making amazing coats and blazer they are even now going to make it uh, like coats and blazer for australian company arzu and they're very very excited about it so mm-hmm. i feel like nothing is impossible for them i always whenever the new design comes i ask ladies what do you think they never say we can't do it they all say we'll do it just provide the training we'll make it happen and i just love their confidence they're so confident they're so empowered they're so happy and this feel so pride what they're doing mm-hmm. yeah so it's such a like you know it's a benchmark success for us but i feel like the whole credit goes to these ladies as well who put so much effort it was so difficult for us to meet the expectation of the western world because they really want everything to be so perfect yeah they really want to it is very challenging working with even with ethical fashion world one hand they want to produce uh, present that they are working with women empowerment skills development another hand they want everything so perfect which is again very contradictive yeah because they are developing skill set how we can get a perfection mm-hmm. but I feel like it's a whole learning process for all all of the parties for me for ladies for partners who comes like when they even actually see whole process it actually make them really understand that how many challenges are involved is really not like on the instagram it looks so fun and so cool but it is on the ground it is not like that <laughs> yeah 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 Wow, that's amazing. And and yeah. so you had no idea about um ethical fashion or or fashion in general before you went to this village and saw that there was an opportunity to to build skills with the women for for learning how to create um fashion garments. Or did you have yeah, no inspiration about fashion or you didn't know much about it at all? no i didn't know about fashion at all <laughs> yeah i we, we used totally bottom up approach we never went to the village with any certain idea we thought will whatever will need will come and the solution will come we'll just build on that and this is the principle that's the principle we use and that's how we got a lot of success because we used the bottom up approach we never went with our own idea we yeah. did what community really need and what community really want Mm-hmm. and whatever decision even we take it's never organization only decision the community always participate equally and that's how we are getting a very good success in every project because it's rare, it's their decision they need to actually make it happen 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we had no idea about ethical fashion. Like, like one of our client told us that we should uh, hold the tag saying who made my clothes and they like to share on the page. And we did that. And I always hear Sahili women saying that we need to really ask who wears them. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they come, they live in a traditional household. Like they come from home wearing traditional lenga, like a skirt and blouse and covering their face because publicly they're not allowed to show their face. They don't show their face to even the family male, mem- male member in their family. And they come to the office and they remove their veil and they started making all this like, you know, Western clothes. <laughs> So like it's so foreign to like you know it's so different than what they are actually lifestyle they are facing in the village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really amazing journey with the ladies and like with the partners. We learn so much with our partners, and the big credit goes to the partner who also actually gave us understanding about the ethical fashion and said there is an area available where you can actually your ladies can produce and there's a like people love your stories and people love listening about you and yeah so but we have to really careful that we don't allow a lot of pictures to the client because it's again protecting ladies it's so easy because it's a lot of like I learned there is a lot of glamour even in the developing country now and in the village woman like people love coming and taking their picture and sharing on the social media but really a lot of ladies don't feel comfortable with that we have a woman who coming from a different different caste lower caste to higher caste a lot of ladies are widows so their social situation are very difficult and very different and a lot of time it's just doesn't even make sense to the partner they cannot even imagine how it can actually one photograph can spoil someone's reputation but it does it's so difficult and different in the village life mm-hmm. yeah yeah wow that's a really um, important point i feel like yeah, I think often in, in, for people in the West who are, I guess, more inspired about living in an ethical way or inspired to travel and everything, they, yeah, almost uh, maybe glamorize uh, the, like, maybe Indian culture or any other sort of um, cultures um, in the, like, in the other developing countries and uh, don't understand the, um, I guess, the, the, the reality, you know yeah yeah totally like especially they really my experience was with the client was up and down now we actually this year in fact was very hard for us and we learned so much from those challenges this year but we saw people coming to the village taking the ch- picture of the children naked children and then posting on the page and saying i'm changing the world i'm changing the life in this village and i feel like this is really not what you're doing you're just producing your clothes ethically and we are producing for you, but you should not take the children's picture without even taking permission of the children, like parents. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like it was really hard for us to even explain it so well to the client. Right. But now we decided to work with a small group of people who can really value uh, our value, who can really actually understand our values and work with it. Mm-hmm. That was really actually challenging, even in the Saheli, for even for the ladies, like stitching cloth, like with the cotton, linen, silk, piece silk. 
because all this fabric even there is a lot of technical problems are there like the all fabric falls differently on the sewing machine and they need to really learn the skills how to handle this particular fabric on the sewing machine what needle they need to use and i still cannot make any button or any loop on my dress so i have no understanding of the stitching so i really cannot help them but it's only master ji and these ladies are making like everything happen i just help them to network that this is the, your client and this is your like workplace and <laughs> but yeah like we did a lot of mistakes and we learn a lot from our mistakes as well mm -hmm. like from a small needle to all the way the marketing everything we learn it from our mistakes we were using number 12 like needle for itself and then we learn it's not going to work on the silk we need to have a number 9 needle <laughs> mm -hmm. so from there to all the way like social media and the fashion world and all these things it was really It's a, it's a it's a great journey for us and for the ladies yeah and and what do you see the future being like what are what are some of your goals for the organization for maybe the next year or the next few years what do you see um how do you see it developing so when we were actually building the saheli woman with the this saheli woman project we were building another two more projects that's also very equally important projects for us and we are doing so much effort in that uh, but we getting a slow like like response and very slow like uh, success in that but again it's changing the people's mentality and their lifestyle is really not easy so the two projects which we are doing is a girls education project and the female health project so in a girls education project that's how we started we like uh, started sponsoring education for girls from our own saheli women staff like whoever couldn't afford their daughter sending to the school we were sponsoring the education and all and when then we looked at the village and we found that so many girls were still sitting at home they were not going to the school they were like dropping out just after primary classes class 3 and 4 and the the reason we actually try to understand why they actually dropping out so early what are the reasons and we found so many reasons poverty was one of them like families are very poor so they send their daughter doing labor like a labor job in the farm to so they can pick up the vegetables from the ground and they can earn 100 rupees or 50 rupees or lot of like household chores are there like for example they need to actually take care animals they need to take care their siblings if mother is recently delivered a child little tiny girls also help their mother in her delivery time like they take care child there's like a younger tiny sibling and they do all the like food and stuff for mom uh the safety issue like a lot of girls also live outskirts of the village uh, they are mostly farming community and they feel uncomfortable walking 3 4 kilometers like per day alone to the school and then there is a no awareness of, about a girls education they don't see the value in education they don't see how the how education can change their daughter's life all they always see education as a, a like a, a like fit with the privileged family lifestyle not with the village lifestyle mm. so there are so many challenges we saw and we thought really we need to work with that because it's really heartbreaking seeing these girls sitting at home and not doing anything even in our saheli women most of the ladies either they have done like primary classes 
or a secondary classes and we have many ladies who never even went to school but now they're doing very good job even with this teaching and all they learn some numbers and all so it was really important for us to actually take care education side of girls education we started doing advocacy girls so we hire a three ladies from the village and they're doing our outreach it's so important that things has to go from a village ladies the people who lives there rather than outsiders so we always hire the staff from village and we train them and it is so effective method when these ladies actually lead any project on the ground so these outreach workers run the whole education awareness campaign they do door to door meeting they meet with the family they run aware like a, they arrange a talk with the family and they tell them how education can change the life and two of our outreach worker never went to school so still if you will put the numbers 1 to 10 they cannot recognize and they always tell their example that they feel now so much difficulty that even there is opportunity big opportunity but they cannot grab it because they really cannot recognize alphabet or number and when they talk to the family members it makes a big change uh, this year, last year we enrolled 60 girls in the school and this year we enroll 85 girls mm. so we adopted the government primary school and we are running whole primary school from class 1 2 and we have our own two teachers who is teaching in class uh, in the primary school because government school doesn't have enough staff there is always under staff uh, even if we enroll the girls it's a very like a big possibility that they will still drop out because if there is no education girls will not sit there so and parents were keep actually raising the question that even if we send our daughters to the school what is the guarantee about education they still cannot read and write so we decided that we need to have our own two teachers who can also help the government teacher and they can we can provide the quality education to girls last year we uh, bought a table and chair full furniture for school uh, till that girls were sitting on the floor especially in the winter and all uh, winter time it's really difficult and also in learning it's difficult when teacher is standing and child is sitting on the floor it break the connection yeah it, like it's not comfortable for teacher to bend all the time and see what children are doing so we actually brought them up we bought a table chairs for entire school now they all sitting on the like chairs and table and it's so easy for teacher to monitor what child is writing so this year we enroll 85 girls but still uh we have a dropout rate and that's always like uh worries us so we are trying our uh, best to make sure that we would actually reduce the dropout rate yeah we do whenever the girls is upset uh, like absent from the school more than four to five days we go to their home outreach worker and arrange a meeting with parents they try to understand why they are not going to school which is again even after arranging meeting is so difficult to see parents sending their daughter to school it's really difficult but we are trying our best for a distance the girls who cannot actually walk to the school due to distance we arrange a free transportation so we arrange a rickshaw like tuk tuk for them uh, and these girls can easily now from this farming community we are collecting 10 to 15 girls every day who actually commute from farm to school so at least these girls and next year we have we have a hope within a two years we want to link entire farming community with the free transportation to the girls so then no girls will sit at home just because she can't walk to the school
she really wants to learn she wants to actually i we we go to the uh, go to those uh, those farming community and we meet the parents and we actually talk to the children and they say they really enjoy coming to the school they really like fun activity because there is a games in the like a school they can do drawing they can have a prayer they have a poetry and all these things are going so they really enjoy but it's really heartbreaking that so many girls still cannot enjoy school because the school is far for them and their parents don't feel comfortable sending their daughters alone on the highways and on dunes and especially uh, in the summer time your temperature goes 50 degree wow yeah it's so difficult for them to walk that far but free transportation has solved the problem for a lot of girls and hopefully in two years will provide a transportation service to entire village outside farming community mm. and we'll make sure that all the girls will enroll in this school wow amazing yeah. it's it's so beautiful when we go to the school and see this happy face faces and girls comes and they all every child in the village now recognizes us so it's really so beautiful going to the school and seeing their happy faces writing on the notebooks reading poem for us it's it's so beautiful mhm mm and would you like to grow this into other villages also yeah will definitely we even getting an invitation from nearby village mhm mm they want us to start something there yeah great yeah in the female health project we have a health literacy program going on where we actually collect the ladies we try to make them aware about their own body that what they need to learn about their body especially during the menstruation or during the pregnancy mm -hmm. uh like we found over 60 to 70% ladies in, in the village are anemic they're suffering from uh what you call anemia mhm mm blood blood deficiency anemia deficiency so we arrange workshops for them where they actually learn about the anemia and what they need to eat and how even whatever basic things are available in the, in the village how even you, they can eat healthy from those things how they can still be healthy with the available things in the village we also have a small clinic so in our village there is no female gynae doctor available so if any woman is suffering from a gynae issue female issue there is a no opportunity for her to go and see the doctor mm -hmm. and we met so many women who was actually holding a female problem from months and years because they don't feel comfortable telling to male doctor their family would not drive all the way to jodhpur to like for a check up and then how many times can you come to jodhpur it's expensive for them yeah. so we started a small clinic female clinic that's the only female clinic in the village and nearby villages and first and third saturday we have a, a female doctor and nurse available we do blood test pregnancy test and like a sugar like sugar test and we provide all pre prescriptions treatment to the ladies if any boom we don't provide free medication but if any elder woman or we find any woman is suffering from a finan critical financial need then we also started providing them free medication like ipsd sponsored the medication as well mm. so it's a very you know it's not like development you can't solve the problem by seeing like issue from one aspect 
is integrated. It's like a totally health is related to the education. Education is related to the livelihood. Livelihood is again related to the education. It's very interconnected. And if you really want to bring the development, you have to see situation from every aspect. Yeah. And that's what we are trying to do, making people healthy, making them aware about their own body, bringing little, uh, like bringing awareness about their menstruation and period time and pregnancy. And at the same time, providing, like uh, talking about the education and the value of education. Mm-hmm. And then also providing the livelihood opportunity for the ladies. Mm. Wow. You're just such an amazing woman. <laughs> And just and and from what I, I haven't been to India yet, but um, it sounds like you're very different to a lot of the other women who are living there. But what do you think it is in you that that inspired you so much to to live your life in this way and to create this organization? Like, what is what is the inspiration behind all of this? Was it just the natural a feeling that you had, or yeah, how did you? I don't know. I don't know how to how to say it in the right way, but um, I guess yeah. Why did you choose to to live in in this way that's so different to a lot of other women who live in India? I don't. I don't know. This is the way I am. I feel like it's so inbuilt. Mm. I cannot sit with the ladies. I cannot chat with them. I cannot have a lifestyle the kind of lifestyle they are having. And I can just do it, whatever they are doing. It's just so easy, but I just can't do it. My inner is not allowing me to do that. In fact, when I'm in the village and if my husband is there and I'm just can't even feel standing with him so closely, it makes me guilty because a lot of ladies in my center are widow. They don't have a partner in their life. Mm. You know, so that guilty feel like, how much can you actually enjoy when there's so many people cannot have access to the basic things? Yeah, and these ladies, they actually, the village work has given me the purpose in my life. They changed me so much. They shaped me so much. And they made me so humble. Like, I always come back and I always feel like I'm so privileged to have all this facility that I have a running water, I have electricity. I even take my children there and they see the, how life is so difficult. But people still don't complain. People still are so happy. And that's, like these ladies are in trouble, but they don't complain, they don't cry, they don't, like sometimes they just cry because they really want to take out all the problem uh, from their heart, but they're still very happy people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what amazing people, like we have so much in our life, but we still don't value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's such an important message for people in the West who are mostly going to be the ones listening to uh, this podcast too you know and when we we live lives that have so much privilege and so much comfort you know and then you lose sight of uh yeah gratitude and uh the yeah being grateful for everything that supports your life you know that all of the little things that um, make your life happen and like yeah provide everything that you need in your life and yeah just hearing you speak about that just really reminds me how important it is to be grateful and i think sorry i'll just jump in when go for it before, when you were speaking before about what 
really, I think, fueled her, like, to continue down this path. Is that that's sort of what you were getting at, right? Because, Madhu, you could have easily have given up if, you know, like, your in-laws had said no, G had said no to getting a job, but something made you push for it. Yeah. You know, like you said, your sister wanted to work, but she didn't fight for it in the same yeah. way, you know, because she just accepted the customs that are still really prevalent now. You know, there's a lot of limitations around what a woman can do. And even like myself living with Madhu in the like middle class colony that I'm living in, the women are mainly housewives. Yeah. And there's still there's still a lot of like um, stereotypes that exist and expectations that exist. And even for, even for the women that, you know, do manage to work, they actually still have the same responsibilities placed on them, you know, looking after their children, um, cooking at home, cooking for the whole family. So I, I think that, yeah, maybe touching on, yeah, what what really pushed you, and also G and what he yeah. his mentality his, also. Yeah, my husband is a very strong feminist person. He really believe in woman empowerment, and same way we raise our children, that they don't see when they're talking to a person, they see that person as a person instead of a male or female. Mm. So yeah, it is actually like that, and it's. It is so easy. I could easily give up saying, oh, I just don't want to, like going to America is just coming out my, from my comfort zone. And first time leaving my family away and going abroad, like I didn't even have a passport. So like I was, even that thought sometimes used to make me like worry. I was sitting in the flight and I was thinking, oh God, what have I decided? Where I'm going to land now? This would be a totally different world. And I went and I saw all the people look different. They speak differently. I don't know whom to ask where I need to go. So that was all coming out completely for my comfort zone. And just like, you know, so like always driving, never giving up. It's like make me always work. But again, like community work is amazing. If you started working in community development with the genuine reason, then there is no force can stop you to be a, being a genuine person. You definitely see a big change in your life and you see yourself as a different person than other people. Mm -hmm. So I think people made me change. People made me work for community development. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing. Mm. Yeah. And also, yeah, taking these opportunities to, to get this message further out there um, through using the power of social media. It's something that I believe strongly in also just, um, yeah, because these messages can be received on a, on a global level just by somebody choosing to, to listen. So I'm really grateful that you agreed to do this and, and share your story and share your projects and everything also. Yeah. Nowadays we started using change makers for our ladies on social media. I feel like these ladies who's actually whether it's our outreach workers, because it's really when I look at their situation, it's very complicated, very difficult for them to come out from home and actually walk in the village to make people aware. 
because a lot of time it's not that they only get support a lot of time people actually don't support them they talk talk uh, like wrong about them they feel like oh you're getting the salary that's why you're doing this job or like sometimes people just don't uh, like listen and refuse when our outreach workers go with the bp and bp machine and weight machine say oh let's let let's check us your body how you feel today and a lot of men refused that said no you cannot come in our house you cannot check all our ladies you cannot talk to them because they breaking slowly culture norms and breaking culture norm is like it's a complex process like i remember last year one of my relative she went to my mother's home and then she was actually complaining to my mom that uh, you should really talk to your daughter she uh, she was saying that we feel like she's becoming too modern she used the term modern and she's just too much like going out and my mother was a little upset and she actually called me and she was saying you remember that relative came so i feel like oh god i am in age of 40 and still people think that they can actually tell me what should i do even after knowing my profession so it's a, i can see it's so difficult for the ladies to actually come out and do something which actually break the culture norms especially in the small towns and cities and villages mm-hmm. yeah yeah but it sounds like you've created a space that that feels safe and supportive for them to yeah to break free of those and it and it feels empowering for them yeah it's a, the our office is only for women men need to come with the permission oh. <laughs> it's a women territory yeah village men cannot enter in the center without permission they have to knock if ladies will say stand out we coming then then someone will go and meet that man but men are not allowed so it is totally women's territory where they can feel comfortable and very safe and they bring also their children so we have a small center children center for them so after children come from the school they go to the children center they have indoor outdoor games they play there so mother always want to make sure that my children women hate i we always feel like womanhood is a never barrier for a woman to grow is in fact it's a strength women are amazing they can do household chores they can take care animals they can be like super mom like take, bring their children send them school come to the office now we have a space school if children has come from the school they can bring them there they can play and mother has still producing clothes and like then go home and take care again the animals they milk the cows goats feed the children cook food Mhm. Yes, women are amazing. I'm so happy that yeah, that you're focusing on on the empowerment of women and I feel like it's a, it in in my experience and feeling it's something that's happening all over the world um in in different ways I guess for us in the west it's it's kind of I don't know, maybe in a different way than than is happening there but there's still the same sentiment i guess it's a lot more intense obviously in india with the stereotypes and everything but i feel like it it does exist in in most places in the world and there needs to be a lot more um rebalancing happening between the man and the woman and discovering you know equality again and yeah it is it's it's a very very big issue that affects so many different areas of life yeah yeah with the saheli woman i would again say one of the challenge which we faced face was casteism and different religion mm so when like a, we have a caste system in india 
and there's a hierarchy of the caste, upper caste, middle caste, and lower caste. And in the villages, it's very, you can actually see it's so strong there. So when we started working in the village and we started open the wholesale center, we try our best to bring ladies from all the caste and especially from a lower caste who have their condition is even very bad compared to the any middle class, middle caste family. So like men are probably involved into OPM or alcohol and they don't earn money or these ladies also face some sort of like domestic violence, but they would never complain because it's like husband and husband is like a God. So we try our best to bring those ladies also in the center. But our main challenge we face that all these ladies, though they actually were happy that, oh, other ladies are also there, but there was a hierarchy. So the ladies who come from a middle caste or upper caste did not get along with the lower caste and especially like, I don't want to use this word, but that's how people actually call them untouchable mm. and all. So that was a difficult for us. And we saw slowly they started making separate mat. Oh, the, this caste will sit on this mat, this caste. And we actually uh, encounter and we started talking to the ladies. We run the, so many like educational workshop for them that how when our pain and our need are the same, how we can be different then. If our pain is same, if our suffering is same, if our needs are same, then it means we are the same people. Like, like we have now, uh, the lady who is manager of our center is a, she is a Muslim woman. The other ladies who's uh, like manager is, she's coming from a middle caste family. Then we have so many ladies who comes from a very low caste, but they're doing amazing work. And now today, when you come to the center, you cannot even think that, who's from which caste, they all sit together, they all work together. Uh, we also have sometimes female and children party and they all party together, they eat together. It's just amazing to mm. see them that how much they have changed because this is the belief they were carrying from generation to generation. Yeah. They keep hearing at home that, oh, you are from this caste, he's from this caste, she's from that caste but they broke all these culture norms. And I can understand how much, like, you know, difficulty they would have faced at their home. Maybe their mother-in-law would be talking, oh, you're going to the center. And I heard that, that in the center, even the untouchable people come. I heard that, oh, in the center, even the lower middle, like a lower caste people also come and all ladies need to sit together. But within a year, all these differences totally finished. Yeah. And today, everything is sitting together. Mm. Wow. That's yeah, so powerful. Think, yeah, it is so powerful. All these ladies are amazing. And today, I was actually talking to Claire, and I was telling, she was asking me who's Bhavri Devi. And I said, you know, Bhavri Devi comes from a very low caste. And she said, oh, God, I cannot even think about it. That what is a caste? And I said, yeah, they don't totally don't look like that now. They just totally merge. Like it's so difficult to even think who's from which caste and which religion. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, whereas and like in general society, it's still very clear. It's very strong, like yeah. from which, yeah. Yeah, it's very clear, especially in the villages and small towns. In metro cities, situations are different in big cities, but in the villages and all, like it's still there. Like even our politics is based on the caste. So caste system is so easily, like you can make out the caste, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, how, so I would love for you to share how people can connect to IPHD and to Sahili women and to the other projects that you're doing and how, you know, how they can support you and um, connect with what you're doing. Okay, so they can go to our website. It's called www.iphdindia.com and our Saheli Woman website is www.sahelywoman.com We have also Instagram. So they can actually check on our Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's not... Yeah, it's great that you are very like actively sharing on there too and giving people an insight into exactly how how it is well not exactly obviously like you said you know it's so much more complex but at least they're able to see um a, a small window of what is happening there and have have a vision of um yeah what you are doing there because i think there's so many other organizations that are probably doing amazing work, but maybe don't have as much um, skills or ability or help with the, the social media aspect of it to, to getting it out there more to people and spreading the word. And yeah, I think you're definitely in a good place with that sharing so frequently and yeah, it's great. And obviously you're connecting with so many people that um, really are on the same page. And I think, yeah, it's so beautiful to connect with you through Claire too, who I know is, just um, just shares that same vision too. And I can't wait to see what you two are creating together also, but it's going to be, yeah, so beautiful to see your creations with your label, Claire. Yeah, no, I can't wait either. <laughs> it's really exciting. I've definitely learned a lot, but it's such a rewarding experience. And, you know, if, if anything, I'm the one that's leaving inspired. You know, these women really, yeah, just inspire me every day. And, you know, their strength and resilience um, is really, you know, I'm going to carry that with me um, pretty much throughout my life now. And yeah, I'll miss them a lot um, while I'm gone. But yeah, I can't wait to start sharing and especially start sharing the message um, around conscious consumerism, which I know you're on board with Chloe Mm -hmm. as well. And I think people are definitely becoming much more conscious about what they're buying and who's making their clothes. So it's going to be really incredible to actually each, it's really exciting actually, because every garment that is produced by Sahili women, so if you purchase a garment, you will actually receive a small description um, and photo of the woman who created the garment. So that, that's actually a really special um, thing that IPHD and Sahili does and provides for their clients. And I think that's really nice for customers. Yeah. To be able to have that. Totally. Yeah. Uh, can we also share something? through like podcast mm-hmm. that we are open for a volunteer program. So if anyone wants to link with IPHD and Sahili Woman Work, we are open for volunteers. So 
whoever is really want to work with the community and ready have a open minded like open minded values they can all actually apply for a phd a volunteer program or sahili volunteer program mm. and they can do that through your website your website yeah yeah amazing yeah i'm sure i'm sure there would be people listening that would be inspired to do that i know i would definitely love to do that i'm sure i will i'm sure we'll meet in person one day soon i definitely feel like yeah i feel like we will and i i feel so yeah so grateful that you said yes to to sharing your story and your about your organization and your vision and yeah i'm definitely just so so inspired and yeah i just i think you're such an incredible woman and uh obviously you're inspiring so many people in your community already and i feel like it's it's only going to grow from here and yeah it's so exciting what you're doing yeah thank you so much for all the appreciation <laughs> of course how can i not <laughs> you're doing such amazing work yeah i'm excited to to share this uh through my platform which is also growing too and hopefully all of the the right people will hear this and um also feel inspired to share more of this message of um community development and social work and women empowerment and conscious consumerism and yeah all of these amazing messages that we that we uh feel really inspired about ourselves yeah Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm.